context do we speak pleasant words? When things are not so good, when things are not so, not so pleasant, right? Because when we speak pleasant words, it is actually sweetness to the soul. So we, we are called, we are invited to train ourselves to speak pleasant words. Words of life. Words quickened by the Spirit of God. The promises of God. Now these are pleasant words. And it is sweetness to the soul. Not only does it affect our mind, our will, our emotions, our intellect. But also it is health to the bones. When we speak words of life, it affects us physically. It affects us emotionally. So we are called to speak these words of faith, speak words of life over our own life. Over our family, over our children, over our in-laws. Speak words of life. Amen. So let's make it part of our lifestyle. Let's make it part of our life to speak, not only on Sundays when we do the declaration, when we make our declaration, but through the week, Monday to Saturday, speaking words of life. Amen. So let's stand up. And make our declaration, hold your Bibles high. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing. To many people, I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, can you standing, please, just uh, for a couple of minutes? Uh, we have in our midst uh, our guest speaker, Pastor Yang, and I just want to uh, introduce him to you. Pastor Yang Tuk Yung is the founder and senior pastor of Cornerstone Community Church in Singapore, which has about 4,000 plus members. They have multiple services in English, Mandarin, Burmese, Bahasa. They have an African service, a Filipino service, and are you ready for this? They have a Telugu fellowship as well. <laughs> From its inception in 1995, uh, Cornerstone Community Church has now planted over 100 churches, schools, orphanages, and Bible colleges in 15 different bases around the world. And Pastor Yang's deep desire is to see the body of Christ come to sonship and full maturity and for the church to be filled with God's glory. We are very privileged and happy to have Pastor Yang and his wife, uh, Daphne, with us. Uh, They have four children, two sons and two daughters, right? And their friends are also, why don't we put our hands together and welcome Pastor Yang, even as he comes and shares God's word. Well, praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of God. It's such a great joy and privilege to be here in this beautiful city of Bangalore, and uh, we're enjoying every moment of it. We were here to yesterday dedicate the building, uh, Chai 316, which is the ministry of Benny Prasad. Uh, Benny, of course, is a dear son to us, me and my wife, and uh, we had a great time uh, with them. 
we fly off tomorrow early morning to London, where we will be visiting our base uh, in uh, Swansea, where we purchased the Bible College of Wales. Uh, two weeks, uh, we just uh, come back from Perth, Australia. We were there last week, and three weeks ago we were in New York City, attending a luncheon at the United Nations. And God's uh, opening many doors everywhere we go around the world. We see the hand of God moving. But I want to say this to you, pastors. This morning, being here in the church is so much like being home. A beautiful presence of God here. And uh, I, I just feel so at home. And I believe today God is going to do something really wonderful in this place. Turn around to your neighbor and says, it's going to be great this morning. Amen. It's going to be fantastic. I have some friends with us, uh, Ram and Vendana. Would you like to stand up, please? They're very dear friends, and uh, we're with them uh, this trip. Uh, thank you. If you could give me some monitors here, that's great. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to the second book of Samuel, the 8th chapter, and I want to read verse 1. And this is a very significant verse because this is a turning point of David's campaigns. And I want to talk about taking the head of Goliath. And I believe that today God is going to speak to us in a very profound way. So let's turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, the 8th chapter. And let's look at verse 1. It says that after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metek Amar from the hand of the Philistines. David took Metek Amar from the hand of the Philistines. Now this verse might not make any sense to you right now, but in the next few moments I'm going to explain the significance and the profoundness of this uh, scripture. You know, David is my favorite character in the Bible. David was an amazing man. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. He was a giant slayer. He was a poet. He was a songwriter. In fact, he wrote so many songs that the choir master had such a hard time trying to keep up with David putting music to the, the words that came forth from David's prophetic utterances. David was also a man after God's own heart. I think above everything else that David was, it was this amazing singular heart that he had for, for the Lord. He had just a passion for God that was unseen and unrivaled in the Bible. But also David was a warrior. And as all warriors do, David shed much blood. He fought many battles. In fact, David's life could be defined by the wars that he fought. From the time that he killed a lion and a bear. If you remember when David was a young lad, he killed a lion and a bear. And interestingly, the, the, the lion is an animal that loves to eat. And a bear is an animal that loves to sleep. And the two things that you need to overcome in your life is the love for eating and the love for sleeping. But David kills the lion and the bear. And uh, at the age of 16... David was uh, visited, his family was visited by the great prophet Samuel. And Samuel has come to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be the next king over the 12 tribes of Israel. The sons were all standing in one line and they were all paraded before this great prophet. And the first boy was a young lad called Eliab, tall, handsome, uh, brooding good looks. And uh, this, he looked every bit like a king. And when, when Samuel, that great prophet, saw this boy, uh, this man, he, he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. There's something about this man's physicality. He was an amazing man. He looked every bit like a king. And uh, Samuel thought that he was the next king of Israel. And the Lord rebuked Samuel and said, Samuel, I don't see a man from his external being. I see him in his heart. Amen. Now, how many of you are glad that God looks at, looks at the heart and not in our physical aspects? Amen. Amen. And the next son, and the Lord says, I've rejected him. And the next boy, and the next boy, and the next boy. And the Lord says, I've rejected all of them. 
And he says to the, said, Jesse, do you have any more sons? He said, yep, I've got one more son. Well, send him in. Well, he's not the one. He's a, send him in. Well, he's not the one. He's a poet. He, he dreams all night, he, all day. He, he writes songs. He, he sings them to the sheep. He smells like the sheep too, you know. And he says, bring him in. And so here this little boy comes in, 16-year-old boy, David. And when the prophet Samuel sees him, the Lord says, this is my boy, the next king of Israel. Now, David's life could be defined by the battles that he fought. All his life, he fought all the battles and overcame the, the Philistines. And he fought battles with the Amalekites and with the Canaanites and with the Syrians. And his life could mirror the apostle Paul because Paul was what... David was to the old covenant, Paul was to the new covenant. Paul fought the battles of, of the Lord. And at the end of Paul's life, if you remember, this is how he defined his life. He said, I fought the good fight. And all of David's, all of Paul's life, he was expanding the boundaries of the kingdom. And no one in the Bible expanded the boundaries of the kingdom in the New Testament more than Paul did. He was an amazing man. Now, David fought two great battles in the Bible. The first great battle is in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines had come up to the valley of Rephaim, which is the valley of giants, to look for David, to kill David. David had just been anointed king over the 12 tribes of Israel. 20 years after Samuel gave him that prophecy, 20 years later, it's now being fulfilled. And David's king over the 12 tribes. And as soon as the Philistines heard this, they came up to kill David. That was the only desire. They wanted to kill David. Because it was more than just, and I want to suggest to you, that it was more than just a personal vendetta. Because 20 years ago, they humiliated David, humiliated the Philistines by killing that giant. Now, 20 years later, they want to take revenge on David because now he's king over all of Israel. But it was more than just a personal vendetta. I want to suggest to you, it was demonically inspired. That behind us was a demonically inspired move to remove David because they saw David as a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so they came up in the valley of Rephaim, the Bible tells us. And twice, and twice David defeated them. The speed which David annihilated the Philippine army was so extraordinary that David had a fresh revelation of God that day. And he called God the Lord of the Brothers. Praise the Lord. All right, fantastic. And so he defeated the Philistine army. But I want you to know that the Philistine army, every time he defeated the Philistine army, they would regroup and then they would come back again. And that would mean that David would always be on the defensive. And I want to suggest to you that the defensive is not a good posture to be in. And for too long, the church has been on the defensive posture. But Jesus said, I will build my church and those gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. And he had had vision and vision that the church will be a church that is advancing. When they're training young boxers for, for bouts in the ring, they train young boxers to go on the offensive because you can never win a fight if you're on the defensive. And too long, I want to say too long, the church has been on the defensive and the time has come for the church to move into the offensive. Amen. In this scripture, which we just read in 2 Samuel chapter 8, is a very significant and turning point in David's campaigns. Because what's going to happen right now is David is going to go on the offensive. This is the first time. This is a change in his strategy. And he goes after what was called Metek Amar. Now Metek Amar is the bridal of the mother city. This is the queen bee. This is the mothership. 
This is the operational headquarters. This is the capital city of the Philistines. And David goes for broke. He goes after the capital city. He goes after the Maytek armor, the bridal of the mother city. And once he took this city, ladies and gentlemen, something happened in the spiritual atmosphere. Because up to this point, the Philistines were an existential threat to Israel. But after this battle, no longer were they an existential threat. David removed the threat from Israel once and for all by going after the mother city. And then after this, something happened. The spiritual atmosphere over the the nation, something broke on the spiritual atmosphere. And David went on a rampage and he took one city, one nation after another. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the Syrians, boom, boom, boom. One after another, they started falling like flies, man. One by one, they started falling like flies because something happened in the spiritual atmosphere that I cannot explain to you. But the moment he took Metek armor, 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1, it was the turning point in David's wars. And after this, David goes on the offensive and takes all these nations one by one and expanded the boundaries of the kingdom of Israel all the way to the river Euphrates, which is a large territory, the largest that Israel had ever seen before. Now, this story alludes to a certain principle in the Bible. And Jesus alludes to the principle. And and in the Gospels, Jesus said these words. He said, if you want to take the the city, you got to first bind a strong man. Once you bound a strong man, you can go in and you can plunder his goods. And the principle here is we got to take the mother city. We got to take the mothership. There's another story in the Bible that illustrates this principle. And it's the life of Joshua. Joshua is an amazing warrior as well. And you know that all of the battles that Joshua fought, all the battles that Israel fought in the wilderness, they were all defensive. All defensive. They were just wanting ease of passage through territory. And if the enemies came, they had no choice but to defend themselves and fight. But all of Israel's battles in the wilderness were defensive. But the moment they crossed that river Jordan, all the battles that they fought became offensive. The moment they crossed that river Jordan, the first city that stood was a gateway city called Jericho. And you know the story. And Jericho was impenetrable. It was a mighty fortress. And I promise you that when Joshua, when that river opened up at Gilgal, and they came and Joshua saw the city of Jericho, he didn't smile because that was the most fiercely fortified city in all of Canaan land. The walls were so thick that two chariots could ride past one to another at one time. There were condominiums in the wall, literally. I mean, this was a fortified, it was a huge city. It was almost impenetrable. And the people in Jericho, the Bible says, dwelt securely until Joshua came. And you know the story, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and Joshua took Jericho. And after he took Jericho, I mean the rest of the cities, 31 kings and 31 cities, they fell like flies, like dominoes, boom, boom, boom. Because something happened in the realm of the spirit. When he took Jericho, the Bible tells us that God removed the protection of all these other cities in the nation, uh, uh, in the Canaan land. And after that, Jericho, uh, Joshua just went on a rampage as well. And he took territory and expanded the boundaries of Israel. The principle here, you got to first bind a strong man if you want to go and spoil his goods. In 1995, I was preaching in a, a church service in my service. And, and we were renting an auditorium pastor just like this. 
And while I was preaching, the word of the Lord comes to me. And pastor, this is the word for your congregation today. The word of the Lord comes to me and the Lord says, I'm going to give you a building of your own. And I stopped preaching. And I said, I just heard the voice of the Holy Ghost. And I said to my church, the Holy Spirit just said to me that he's going to give us a building. There was a wave of faith that came into that building. People started crying in that room right there, right then. It was an amazing, very defining moment for us. A few weeks later, I was reading an article by a pastor called David Wilkerson. How many of you heard of him? Crossing the switchblade, right? Times Square Church. David Wilkerson was preparing to retire. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as far as we pastors are concerned, there is no retirement, only refinement. Amen. I'm, not, I'm 55 this year, going to 56. I'm not planning to retire. I'm reloading for the next season. Amen. And so here is David Wilkerson, and he's, he's wanting to retire in Texas. And the Lord says, David, I want you to go to New York City. I've got to work for you. He said, I don't want to go to New York City. I want to retire in Texas. David, go to New York City. I don't want to go to New York City. I want to retire in Texas. The Lord says, David, if you go to New York City, I will give you a building that when you walk into the building, I'll take your breath away. So he goes to New York City. And if you ever go to Times Square, go to Times Square Church, I think on 51st and Broadway. It's the most elegant building in all of the United States of America. It's a beautiful building. The Mark Hellinger Theater. That's the flagship of Broadway. And I remember four weeks ago, we were just in that church in New York City. And my, every time my wife and I, we go and we just, God just takes my breath. It's so beautiful. It's such a gorgeous auditorium. Absolutely beautiful. And so the Lord spoke to me. And so I was so inspired by that story. I said, God, please give me a building that when I walk into the building, you will take my breath away. A few months later, there was an agent who calls me up. He says, Pastor, there's a property for sale. Would you be keen to come and see it? I said, sure. He said, it's a nightclub. I said, okay. So I remember walking into the nightclub. And the first thing I see in the nightclub is a bronze statue of a demon crucified on the cross. Right in front. And then I see these gargoyles, these ugly creatures looking, uh, creatures in the, on the left and on the right, lining the walls of this vast cavernous hall. And then right in front were these cages where the girls would dance almost without any clothes on. And I was looking around and all of a sudden the Lord just takes my breath away. He says, this is the place that I've got for you. So for the next 18 months, man, we prayed and said, God, give us this place. Finally, God gave us the nightclub. Now the nightclub was called Music World. And it was the third largest nightclub in my city. And in the east coast of Singapore where I live, this is the strongest nightclub. It's the largest nightclub and it was the Maytag Amar of the East Coast. But the moment we took this, this nightclub, there was a great battle. I'm, I'm trying to condense this story. There were nights that are hyperventilated because of the pressure, that, the demonic pressure that would come into my room against me as, I, as we purchased this nightclub. But the moment we bought that nightclub, ladies and gentlemen, something happened in the spiritual atmosphere in the community. Something happened. Something just started breaking. And all of a sudden, we started praying. This, this nightclub, Music World, was the largest nightclub in this whole area that was dotted with pubs and nightclubs and massage parlors. Hundreds, literally. But after we took this Maytek armor, something happened in the spiritual atmosphere. We bought a second nightclub. Then we bought a third nightclub. And then we took a fourth nightclub. And then we took a massage parlor. And then we bought a fifth nightclub. And then we bought a sixth nightclub. Hallelujah. 
something happened. And one kilometer radius from where my church is, ladies and gentlemen, we have seen 50 nightclubs close already in the last 18 years. 50 nightclubs. 18 years ago when we moved into that, that community, I can tell you Satan was ruling over the community. Today I can stand here without any fear of exaggeration and tell you Jesus Christ rules in my community. For sure. It was a dingy, seedy, and sleazy place 18 years ago. Today, the property values are so high, you can't buy an apartment below 1 million US dollars in my community. I mean, that's how snazzy it is. Everybody wants to come to the community because something happened in the community. What happened? We took Maytag Amo. We took the stronghold. There was a nightclub under our church, I remember. And this nightclub was called Shalala. And... Uh, they had a very powerful sound system. And every time we were having service, they would turn on the sound system and the sound would be so loud, especially the bass, it would be so loud that the floor under us would start to shake. Literally, boom, 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 boom. And some of my people thought it was the glory of God coming into the place. I said, no, it's a nightclub. So I said, Lord, we, this cannot continue anymore. We got to do something to Shalala. So we started praying and said, God, Turn Shalala, this is the prayer. Turn Shalala into a hallelujah. So we started praying at the nightclub. Weeks after week, month after month, we started praying. The nightclub owner called me up one day. He said, I want to see your pastor. Now this guy is a tough guy. You know these nightclub operators, they're all tough guys. And I only saw him one time with one girl on his right and one girl on his left like that. Young girls, you know, walking around, strutting around proudly and very arrogant fella. And that was the only time I saw him. So he says, I want to see your pastor. So with a sense of fear and trepidation, I went down to the nightclub and I walked in and the stench of alcohol with the carpets and, you know, the smoke and cigarettes and, you know, the stench. Some of you have been in that lifestyle. And I walk in and this, this whole nightclub scene and, and this, out of this nightclub comes this man. And he comes and he says, are you the pastor? I said, yes, I am. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you exactly what happened. He gets down on his knees like that. He holds my hands. He said, Pastor, you tell me, how do I become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? So we told him how to become a Christian, let him in the sinner's prayer. We prayed for him and just before we dismissed him, we said, oh, by the way, the Lord says, give us your nightclub. Which he did, hallelujah. And that's how we started taking nightclubs. One by one, something happened, began to happen in the spiritual atmosphere in the community. God started giving us one nightclub after nightclub, and then the whole community, the atmosphere started changing itself. There are a couple left, but I tell you, their days are numbered. Amen. Their days are numbered. You know, they used to say, when Cornerstone Church wants your nightclub, you got very little to say about it. Amen. Because we started praying, and I believe that as we continue to pray, God's going to give us the entire community. I want to just illustrate this with another uh, story, and this might might offend some of you. So I'm asking you to be patient with me as I explain uh, the story to you because there are ramifications in, in, in every nation right now. The thing that has shaken the Western world, uh, that's shaking now even the Eastern nations, uh, Eastern uh, countries, is this whole, uh, whole subject of homosexuality. And the LGBT movement, which is uh, the, la- the lesbian, gay, bi and transsexual movement is a very, very militant, outspoken, very small minority, but very, very influential. And they've changed the laws in America to suit the LGBT agenda. 
and it's shaking Western civilization. But it's now coming to the countries, even in Singapore, they're trying to push this agenda. Very small percentage of people. I want to qualify by standing here to say to you that if you're struggling with homosexuality, Jesus Christ can set you free in Jesus' name. Amen. He can set you. If you will come to him, the whole purpose of this is to really attack the institution of marriage. Now, marriage, according to the Bible, is one man, one woman to the exclusion of all others. Amen. That's marriage. Uh, you know, when Adam and Eve stood before God, God joined them in, the, in, the, the, in holy matrimony, and they became one and complete before God. So a, a man and a woman is complete. A man and a man is not complete. A woman and a woman is not complete. It takes a man and a woman to be one in the presence of God. Can someone say amen? You know, because I'm really preaching much better than you're responding, you know. I tell my wife, I'm more a preacher than I am a teacher. And the difference is the teacher tells it, but a preacher yells it. You know? <laughs> okay. And so, in 2004, my then president, a prime minister, made a, a, a mistake. And uh, he made a statement and said, we're going to open our doors to the homosexual community to come in. Now, the moment a, a head of state makes a statement like that, how many of you know you're, you're inviting yourself into a lot of trouble? And so for the next few days, the, the gay community was very vocal, and they pushed the boundaries to try and change the institution of marriage in my country. And I felt that this was going to affect my nation, and if we would go down that road, it would be irreversible. And so I stood up and I made a statement. It was recorded in the newspapers. And there was a double-page spread of Pastor Young from Singapore, from Cornerstone Church. This is what he said. And I said, let's draw the line. We cannot allow this in our country. We've got to take a stand. And everybody who's, who loves the family institution needs to stand up with me and take a fight and make a stand. You see, what happened was that there was a professor in my country from Mellon Carnegie University in Florida who studied, uh, who, who did a, a study on the most creative cities in the world. And San Francisco was number one, Seattle was number two, all the way down to number 10. And then he also tracked the most homosexual or gay cities in the world. Ho San Francisco was number one, Seattle was number two, down the line. So he correlated the two sets of data and says, there you are. He came to this bright conclusion that homosexual people or gay people are smarter than straight people. And my country bought that. I lit literally... My country, my government bought into that lie. And so we opened the doors to homosexuality. Now, when the newspapers reported about what I said, I became public enemy number one, literally. I mean, they attacked me and relentlessly, relentlessly. Uh, my phone systems, I had seven hunting lines in my office, all jammed. Uh, you, they would call, uh, pick up the phone. They would just vulgarities put on the phone. Pick up the phone, vulgarities put on the phone. Pick up the phone through the day, nonstop. 24-7. I mean, right through the day. We couldn't work because all our phone lines were jammed. And then they hacked my website. And then they put the name of my kids, my four kids, in our website and says, these are Pastor Young's kids. These are where they go to school. If you want to find them, you know where to go to. I mean, they're pretty mean. And all of the, the battle started, it was getting very intense. They wrote to me, they said, well, well, a thousand homosexuals are coming to your church this Sunday to disrupt your service. And I, that got me a bit intimidated. And then they send me an offering, like $666, like I'm the Antichrist, you know. And I'm, I mean, the, the pressure was on. But the next day, BBC called me up. They said, we want you in world service. So I'm on BBC, Time magazine, 
picked up my story. So the newspapers from all the region, Thailand and Malaysia and Indonesia, all picked up the story. So overnight, I also became a sensation <laughs> celebrity. So all of a sudden, this Pastor Young, of, you know. But nothing could prepare me for what was going to happen on Saturday. And I, I remember Saturday, which is one day before the service, and they said they're going to send a thousand people to disrupt my service. And I was feeling this pressure, really. I went to the park to pray. And I was praying. It was 5 o'clock. I looked at my watch. 5 o'clock in the evening, I was praying. And as I was praying, I remember walking and praying. And I, as I was praying, I said this. I said, Lord, I'm feeling the pressure of this whole thing. And in the name of Jesus, I said, I bind the spirit. And the moment I used that word, I bind. The moment the words came out as they were coming out of my mouth, someone hit me with a karate chop on the back of my head like this. Boom! And I go down to the ground. I'm telling you, and I turn around, and there was not a single person there. And I got up, and I'm all dazed, okay, because it was a heavy blow. I took two more steps, boom, another karate chop on the back of my head. And I, I stumbled, and I turned around, and there's nobody there. And I'm telling you, I'm just like freaking out, and I'm saying, what's happening, what's happening? And a man comes running up to me. He says, I saw it, I saw it. I said, what did you see? He said, and he pointed to a huge crow with its wings spread out, sitting on the branch, looking down at me. And the crow, as I was looking at the crow, a voice spoke to my heart, and the voice said, I can even make the animals turn against you. And I'm telling you, you cannot convince me here as I'm standing on the stage and without any fear of exaggeration, you cannot convince me that this was not a spiritual warfare. That this was not something that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And I, my goosebumps all stood. I ran back home. I got my pastors. I said, you gotta, guys, you better pray because this is what happened. And we started praying. And for months, the, the, the nation, the pastors in the city came to my, to my aid and many churches joined with me and we started praying. And something, ladies and gentlemen, broke over the spiritual atmosphere in my nation that up till today, sodomy is still a crime in my nation. They cannot, dis they, they keep on pushing the agenda, but the Christians keep pushing it back and they have no traction in my country. They might have a voice, but they have no traction because the church is wanting to become the church. It's learning to become the church and learning to take a stand. Now I tell you this because there is a battle that's taking place in India right now. With the anti-conversion bill, with all these things that are happening, the church must remain resolute and strong. But we must also have men and women of God who will champion, who will rise up and say and speak up in a public arena, public square, and say we need to fight for the Christians. Amen. We need courage in this time. We need uncommon valor to be in God's people. We need men and women with steel in their backbones. I tell you, the most contagious thing in, the, in life is courage. When you see one man stand up boldly, it resolves all our... It steals our resolve. Amen. Everybody becomes courageous. Everybody becomes bold when we, when we see a, a man of God stand up and take a stand for righteousness. Hallelujah. David had to fight with this giant Goliath. Goliath was nine and a half foot tall. No man in Israel could fight him. The only man that could fight Goliath was King Saul. Because the Bible says, head and shoulders above every man above uh, in Israel was King Saul. He was the tallest man in Israel, the handsomest, and the most handsome. The most handsome. And also, he was the strongest man in Israel. He was the only one that could fight pound for pound. The only one that could fight with Goliath. So when Goliath stood, he says, you bring me your champion to fight. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the only man that could take Goliath was King Saul. 
And that was the enemy's, and always been the enemy's strategy. Let's fight on our terms. But when he sees this little bitty 16-year-old boy come with, to fight him, he is, he's, he is humiliated. He says, am I a dog that you bring a little boy with sticks to fight me? He's scandalized when David comes up. You know, David had only five smooth stones in his pouch. I heard a preacher one time say that David had five smooth stones because just in case he missed one, he had four more stones he could use. And that's all baloney. David had five stones because Goliath had four brothers. And just in case all those brothers wanted to join the fight, David would kill all five of them. So here's David, and he looks at the giant, and he's got this little space open on the forehead. And David says, I mean, he's looking at the, the, the little an opening, and he's thinking to himself, I can do this with my eyes closed, you know. He was so good at the slingshot. And with one stone, he kills the giant right in his forehead, cuts the giant's head, takes out the head of the giant. And that's the principle I'm alluding here today. Ladies and gentlemen, when you kill the giant and you lift up the giant's head, all of a sudden, this air of invincibility that is over the giants, all of a sudden, people realize these giants can be taken down. And after that, all the other giants were killed, not by David, but by David's men. You want to be a giant killer? You better hang around with giant killers. You want to do something great for the kingdom? You better learn to, to rise up. Hang around with the giant killers. Look at how they've killed the giants and rise up and kill your giant. The giants that need to be killed in this nation, I tell you. And I'm here, Pastor, with a two, with a couple of prophetic words for this congregation. The first word that I that's burning in my heart for this church, for all people's church. Pastor, the Lord says He wants to give you a building. He wants to give this church a building of your own. I am so sure. I stand here with this prophetic word. God is going to give you a building. Now you start to pray for it. You start to pray for it. Say, God, give us land. Give us a building. I, I don't know the history of the church at all. But all I feel is that this place is too small for you. It's too small and too warm as well. You need a nice auditorium with beautiful air condition. I'm telling you. God is going to give you a place. But also God is going to raise this church to be like the the slingshot of David. It's going to be a warring church. Hallelujah. Pulling down strongholds. Pulling down principalities. Now sometimes, sometimes we need to be on the public platform to speak. But most times we are on our knees in prayer. That's how we overcome the enemy. Amen. You know in in the Bible, in the Old Testament, before they went for war, the generals would, would meet all the soldiers. They would all be gathered. And the first question they ask is, how many of you just got married? So some people say, yep, we just got married. All right, you can go. Spend one year with your wife. Enjoy your wife. Let your wife enjoy you. Build your house. It's fine. After one year, you come back. So all those who just got newly married were exempted from the battle. Then they asked the second question. How many of you just purchased a new house? Some hands would go up. All right, you guys... You can go back to your homes, enjoy your home for a year, and then come back to the battle. The third question they would ask is, now how many of you are afraid of the battle tomorrow? And there'll be some hands, yep, we're afraid. You guys can go back too. We don't want you in the, in the army. You know why? Because fear is contagious. Just as courage is contagious, fear is also contagious. And I see courage run very quickly. I see a man stand up with boldness. You know, Ronald Reagan's. Uh, said this, and I, I just got to quote this to you because it's such a phenomenal, uh, 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 such a phenomenal speech he made one time, and he said, and I quote this: 
He said freedom is just one generation away from extinction. We don't pass it to our children in our bloodstreams. We have to fight for it, protect it, and hand it to them so that they will do the same or we are going to find ourselves for the rest of our sunset years telling our children and our children's children about a time in America when men and women were truly free. We don't, we don't pass freedom through our bloodstream. We've got to fight for it. This generation must fight for the freedom of the next generation. And it takes courageous men, courageous women to take a stand and say, this line, this battle, draw, I'm going to draw the battle line. The, bu- the buck stops here. I'm taking a stand for the kingdom. I'm taking a stand for the kingdom. In Hebrews 11, and I'm going to come to a close in a few moments. In Hebrews chapter 11, there is this hall of fame, of faith. Now you all read that before. It says, by faith, Abel did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, uh, Isaac did this. All of them did something that involved an act of courage. Now these people are recorded in this Hebrews chapter 11 because of the shining moments in their lives. There was a shining moment. There was a moment when all the pressure was on them and they said no more retreat and they took a stand and they they, they, they pressed forward in faith and God says, I will never forget those shining moments in your life. And so it's recorded for all of eternity, for all of us to read as well. The shining moments of God's children, the shining moments of God's servants. And ladies and gentlemen, there are people here today that you are pressured. Your boss will say to you, I want you to change those figures in the books. You say, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. I cannot do that. That would be dishonest. You would be, that, there would be people and your parents will pressurize you. And some of you are from Hindu families and they will say, if you become a Christian, we will disown you. We will, we will cast you out from the family. You say, you can do whatever you want, but I cannot deny my Savior, Jesus Christ. A shining moment in your life. And God says, I will never forget those shining moments. You're pressured in, in, in whatever circumstance in your life. Pressured to do something that is wrong. To pay a bribe. I'll never do that. I'll never accept a bribe. Because this is not what my Bible teaches us. It's one of those shining moments in your life. And God says, I never forget those shining moments. They're recorded for all eternity. There was this battle that Israel fights with the Philistines. I close with this. The Philistine army was advancing over a field of lentils. Lentils. And the children of Israel, when they saw the Philistine army march forward, they started retreating and running away. But there was one man in the Israeli company. His name was Shama. He took his sword out. He said, no more retreat. No more retreat. And he stands in the middle of that field. And he says, come on, boys. Because you're going to get past me. If you want this field, you're going to get past me. And he takes a stand in the field. And the Philistine army came. I mean, he's a one-man killing machine. He starts killing those Philistines. And I would presume that when the children of Israel running away, turned back and looked and saw the courage of this one man, Shama. It's recorded in 2 Samuel. That they themselves turned back and joined him. And on that day, God gave a great victory as the children of Israel overcame the Philistine army. Now that field was just a field of lentils. But it was important because that field was where David killed Goliath. And so Shama said, my king 
gave us a great victory on this field. I will never let this field ever go back to the Philistines. This was where my king killed that great giant. And this is where I'm going to take my stand. And I tell you this, my brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ died on Calvary and shed his blood for us. And when he did that, he envisioned a church that was overcoming. A church that was triumphant. A church that even though they would kill us, we would never deny him. We would be strong and full of the Holy Ghost. We would stand like an army and we would not back away. We would not retreat. We would not back off. We would stand fast in righteousness and strength because our God is with us. Amen. And I'm here. And I'm here to encourage you. I believe that God has his hands on this church. I said to my wife, I I just love the worship in this church. There's something about this congregation. There's a beautiful atmosphere of the presence of God that's in here. And I prophesy that you are going to multiply very quickly. God's going to enlarge you. God's going to increase you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, I pray. Increase, increase, increase this congregation like a flock. Oh, may the Lord God bless this congregation. And God wants to give you a new place. I believe God wants to give you a new building. Start praying for it. Say, God, give us this building. Give us this building. Because I believe that this is part of the inheritance of all people's church. Amen. God wants to bless you. Hallelujah. And I stand here to encourage you this morning from another nation. Be strong. Be of good courage. For the Lord, your God, is with you. I want you all to stand because I want to pray right now. And I want to pray that God will infuse you infuse you with supernatural courage i want to pray this morning and let the let the weak say and let the poor say come on if you are weak and say you can say today lord make me strong if you're poor lord make me rich hallelujah strengthen yourself in the lord for the lord your god is with you amen i want to pray in the next few moments and i want to speak the blessings of god over you you know ladies and gentlemen our cowardice today is going to be our captivity tomorrow If you don't stand up for what is right, if you don't stand up for the truth, you're going to find yourselves being overtaken by a deluge of sin and and the enemy's strength and power. There are two words I want to introduce and I close with this. Extra, ordinary, and ordinary. When I use the word ordinary, what comes to your mind? Average. So-so. Half-hearted. Mediocre. That's average. But when I say extraordinary, what comes to your mind? Super, wonderful, amazing, wow, woo, super, extra, no, extraordinary. The only, the only five words that, div- that separate ordinary from extraordinary is the word extra. And extra doesn't mean a lot, it just means a little more. If you just spend a bit more prayer, more time in prayer, more time in the word, cry out to God, more time in the presence of God, you can see the things that God is going to do in your life, just a bit more. And God can turn this church from an ordinary church to an extraordinary church. Amen. Amen. From you as an ordinary believer to an extraordinary believer. Would you lift up your hands, please? I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. I, you know, I feel very strongly. There are two things I want to do. And first of all, I want to speak this courage into you. And I want to pray for this infusion. Infusion of courage right now. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Father, I thank you for this beautiful church. I thank you, God, that there's something about this church that is precious, that is beautiful in your sight. I thank you for the people in this congregation. And I know, God, in my heart that you're going to give them a building. And I know, God, that you're going to expand them. 
And I know that God, you're going to enlarge this, this company of people, Lord, to make them even like an army of God, to make them into a troop, Lord. So Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for courage, Lord. Steal our resolve. Make us strong. Infuse us with courage. Infuse us with boldness. Right now, in Jesus' name. Right now, in Jesus' name. And whatever the metic armor of this community is, that we will take this, Lord, and see the, the powers of darkness begin to break and begin to be loosened over this community in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, one more thing I want to do before I close. And I want to pray for people this morning. You know what I have, I can give to you. What I don't have, I cannot give to you. That I have in the name of Jesus, you can have. And I want to just pray for you this morning. I feel the, the, the presence of God is in this place. And I feel the Lord wants to just bless this congregation with fire. He wants to put fire in your belly. There's no escaping fire in the Bible. If you let the fire burn in you, if you keep the fire burning, the fire will keep you burning. Some of you, God's calling you to preach. You say, Pastor, I can't preach. If you, all you need to preach, ladies and gentlemen, is to have a tongue of flesh that's connected to a tongue of fire and you'll be a firebrand for him. Hallelujah. You know, God wants to put a flame over every hit in this place. You know, on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room and they were praying. God the Father looked down and said, prepare 120 flames of fire. One flame for every head. I don't know how many people there are in this room today. But God has counted and He knows exactly how many people He wants to put this flame over your head today. And He wants to touch you with the fire of God. How many of you want the fire? You say, Pastor, I, man, I want the fire, Lord. I want the fire to burn. If you want the fire, I want you to come to the front very quickly. I want you to move to the front because I want to just take a few moments to pray for the fire of God to fall on people today. And I promise you that many of you are going to experience God in a very unusual and wonderful way. So you just come to the front. And I want to just pray for this fire to fall on you today before I, I release this uh, pass this mic back to your pastor and I just pray that God will move powerfully in this room today and I know that today there's going to be this measure of impartation uh, that's going to be in this service so just come to the front if you want this fire in the balcony you just want you just come on come on down just come down come down because I believe something is going to happen in this room today just come now just come make your way to the front come on come on come on come on this is going to be exciting. This is going to be exciting. Now, I want the, 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 the worship leader. Where's the worship leader? Would you please come? And the, the band as well. And the pianist. My brother, I just feel the anointing of God upon your life, man. Hallelujah. Oh, karaba, shakaraba. I need the pianist as well, the, the guy behind the keyboards. And we're going to pray. And in the next few moments, we're going to call the fire of God to fall. And many of you here in front... You're going to experience this fire of God on your hands and your face. Some of you are going to feel your, the fire burning in your hearts, your skin. You're going to feel that, the touch of God upon you. Some of you are going to feel your inward parts burning. Hallelujah. God's going to touch different people here in different places. And the fire of God is going to be on you. Lift up your hands. Close your eyes. Don't, don't, don't worry about the person next to you on the left. Don't worry about the person next to you on the right. When the fire of God touches you, you know, whenever fire touches human flesh, there's always a reaction. People cry, people shout, people scream. But the one thing they never do is they never keep quiet. When fire touches human flesh, there's always some kind of reaction. 
So in the next few moments, I am going to pray and release this fire. You watch how God is going to touch many people today. Would you just close your eyes, take a deep breath, and forget about everybody around you. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. He is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. He's the baptizer of fire. I'm just a deputy. And I want you to keep your eyes on the Holy Spirit. Keep your eyes on Jesus right now. Because the Lord wants to encourage you and infuse you, not just with courage, but also fire in your belly. Close your eyes. Just take a deep breath. Relax in the presence of God. We're going to be praying in the next few moments. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful congregation. I thank you. I sense such a hunger in this church for you, God. And I, I'm excited, Lord, to see what's going to happen in the next few moments. And I thank you, God, that you are the baptizer of the Holy Spirit and fire. And the promise to the seed of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And you want to just baptize these precious people with the Holy Ghost. Not only just baptize them with the Holy Ghost, but you will baptize them with fire. Hallelujah. And the fire is going to be in them as they are in the fire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, hallelujah. Fire! Fire! Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall in this place right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. I need a few catches. I need a few brothers, sisters help. In the name of Jesus, loose, 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 loose the anointing. Shakaraba. Hallelujah. Shakaraba. I need a few catches. Kiriya Marakaya. Shikaraba. 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 Hallelujah. Fire fall. Fire. Come on. Come on. Press it. The fire fall. Fire fall. Fire fall. Right now. Right now. Right now. The fire is falling. Come on. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Shakaraba. Says, brother, help me, please. Shakaraba, fire, fire, fall. Sharabareyanalaba, shakara. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Fire, 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 fire. Hallelujah. Pastor, can I come down? I'm going to come down. The worship leader, lead us in a song of worship. We're going to press in. God's going to start moving. When we lay hands on you, you just close your eyes, take a deep breath, receive from the Holy Ghost. God's here today. God's here in this, in this room today. So let's press in. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody's a little subdued. Hallelujah. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So how many of us are going to stand our ground, right? In our own homes, in our office situations, and uh, whichever sphere of influence we are in, stand our ground, going to the Word of God. Amen. Why don't we all stand at this time? On behalf of uh, Pastor Ashish and uh, Amy, I just want to thank you, Pastor Yang and uh, Sister Daphne as well, and for coming. Why don't we just give them a big hand? Um, thank you. Um, thank you for ministering here this morning, for blessing us and um, for being here. Um, let's pray and close. Father, we thank you for great are your ways, Master. We thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. You are the Spirit of Truth. We thank you, Master. We thank you for strengthening us this morning. We thank you for refreshing our vision. Lord, we thank you for washing away 
the regrets, washing away the fear. Yes, Lord, continue to be that raging storm inside of us, God. May we never be satisfied. May we always hunger and thirst for more of you in the coming days. And Lord, we thank you for the word that was spoken over our lives. Can we just thank him for the prophetic words that have come? Just thank the Lord. And what do we do with those words? We go into battle. We go into battle. We take those words and we go into battle because the rhema word of God is the sword of the spirit. Amen. So we let's start declaring that over our own lives. Let's start declaring that over our church. Amen. Let's start declaring increase. Let's start declaring, oh God, we thank you for our own place. That you are giving, that you are granting. Let's declare that. And every prophetic word, maybe God quickened the word even as you were being prayed for. Start declaring that. Saying, I'm going into battle because this is the word of God. The sword of the spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you, God. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the one who is confused say, I have the peace of God. Amen. 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 Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and remain with us even as we step out into this week, even as we do our battles, even as we wage our wars. For the God of glory, the Lord of hosts goes before us. Amen. 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 Have a great week. Have a blessed week. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.